You're listening to the Paul Cardall Podcast. Paul's guests are thought-provoking people, blessed with incredible gifts. These are those he admires and wants to share with you. I'm a huge fan of Silicon Boone. I discovered him through my sister, Karen. She sends me songs periodically. She's got amazing taste in music. And with her, I went to my first concert. So a lot of memories with my sister Karen and music. And uh, she sent me this text for an artist, Silicone Boone. Immediately I listened to the song and for me personally, and music hits each of us differently. We have different tastes, different styles. But for me, as a songwriter, as an artist, as somebody who loves various types of music, Silicone's music hit me particularly for this young Amish boy who leaves that, comes into the big world with his eyes wide open, ears hearing everything, absorbing all kinds of information. So his music for me is about reaching to understand the purpose of life and our entire role as humans here on this planet. What I my face is far too common You could stack me up still I'd be forgotten And I've never found a place among the chosen Oh, but I rode the wave that gives the world its motion Yes, I found you Again, I couldn't be more thrilled to talk to you I've continued to listen to your album and uh, in your songwriting, you've reached out in trying to explore and understand, I guess, the reality of how small we are and the possibility of what's out there. So you created one of the best rock and roll records I've heard. And Yeah, that's really kind of you. Um, I'd always been interested in space. Probably a lot of people are. And for me, it's the, it's the combination of vastness and mystery and the seemingly in, the endless possibilities one of the things that i've noticed about you know when i was a child which i i liked being a kid but but partly because when you're a kid every experience you have 9 out of 10 of them are new and 1 out of 10 of them you've had before but they're just just this compounding barrage of experiences that all tend to be new and as we get older that you know that ratio drops where the new experiences become less and less than the, the ones we've experienced before. And some of that has to be neurological, right? It has to be like how our mind creates patterns uh, for efficiency. So rather than seeing a house, we see a pattern for a house. So we don't really see the house. You know, we're walking down the road or something and we look at a house and just our mind says house. But we don't really see it the way a kid might look at it and be like, oh, why is, you know, why are the columns painted yellow, dad, you know? That sort of thing. And one of the things that for me that space symbolizes if this is this infinite amount of possibility, right? Because we don't know what's out there. And it's and the vastness of it is just insane. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast the other day. They they now think that the Milky Way has about 300 billion stars and about 10 to 20 percent of those has habitable has planets that could potentially be habitable life as we know it. Just the possibilities. It's like, goodness sake, what all could be out there? And so much of our past in history to even suggest 
there might be some type of life out there was just considered absurd. You know, like Galileo excommunicated the right. Catholic Church, but then made a saint because the science hated right. um, his hypothesis. And uh, right, and I think it, I think it ebbs and flows. I think we go through periods where people assume that life is everywhere. You know, they. I think in the early 1900s, people thought that Mars probably had civilization on it, right? And they were like, uh, I think the one of the astronomers that looked through a telescope that saw ruts thought they were water canals. And so he was like, look, they're already irrigating. <laughs> they're as advanced as we are. And it was assumed that that was the case. And then, uh, you know, then we send out the rovers and there's nothing there. And then, you know. And so I listen to a bunch of scientists all the time on 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 the, those sort of questions. And you you find scientists all over the map, some who think that life is inevitable, that as long as there's water, there's going to be life. And then there are those who think it's super rare. And of course, we we don't really because our reach is so small. Talking about the reaches, because our reach at the moment is so insanely small, it's it's not just confined to the solar system, it's confined to just mars and the moon and even the work that we've done on iota or titan uh or europa ion or titan or europa are so small that we've not really had i don't think we've had any surface rovers land and do any kind of work it's just been flybys which what can you tell from that nothing you know and you've channeled that wonder and awe and uh you know my daughter who's 10 knows all the constellations and we go out into yeah. the, at a desert where you can't see any of the Vegas lights and we can see all the constellations. And she's telling me that that star is already gone. It's not even, but the light that reflects back is still there. Yeah. It's still there. And, and it's a one, I can see huh. her eyes. I like that. The amazing reflection. And you channeled all that into one particular song which is the title of the record, The Reaches. 10,000 revelations From faces turned and hidden Comes the beating of a hammer stone To ships of iron raised in fire Ships to dark the brazen sky Let me read to you some of these inspired words from silicone. A hundred billion lights, they burn, they blaze like mirrors turning. And I picture my daughter's face. To turn God's Mm -hmm. own reflection, all those lights they burn, they blaze. They fire and quicken, they flicker on your face, my friend. And when I heard this, and everybody gets their own personal revelation of what a song could be about sure and for me it's this wonder of that source of creation and we are part of that and what is out there is reflecting back Sail the skies for the reaches and 
that that song was was written uh i mean I, there's a few things i'd probably like to say about reaches one of them is you know we know that the carbon and the atoms that we're made of were cooked in the stars so we literally are the image of stars mm. on one hand which is the image of light which i love that i also, also love what your daughter had to say because i think that star is dead, but its light is still reaching us. It reminds me of the people who have done good work in the past who who have died, but their light is still reaching us, you know, and hopefully it'll continue to reach us for centuries, some of them, right? Of course, then there are evil, awful people whose fires reach us too, and we want that to stop. But, um, but I actually wrote the song um and, and and personally i kind of wrote the song as an homage to carl sagan mm-hmm. who who had an, an an amazing influence on this record but not just on this record on me as a person because i read his pale blue dot in my early 20s and it uh, it it had a a wonderful and radical effect on on the way that i saw the world in a good way and um i realized the song invokes god uh, and i realized that carl sagan uh, uh, was an atheist, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to uh, disrespect him in any way by, you know, suggesting that Carl bore the image of God or the image of stars or whatever, however you want to put that. Um, I, I mean no uh, disrespect to him in that regard, but it was just my uh, kind of me writing a, a song for him the way that I felt about what he brought to the world, which was a lot of curiosity and a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight, a lot of uh, exploration. And uh, yeah, this childlike curiosity that he, he, that he was able to maintain his entire life. And I saw Carl as a stand-in when I, as I wrote this song, as a stand-in for Homo sapien. You know the human species. So the the the, the song's called "Reaches Hymn to Hominin," and it is a hymn to humanity. Hominin, hominin being the the lineage that brought about Homo sapiens, and um, and I, I imagine Carl being a representative of of our humanity, and just wrote that song as best as I could. Uh, but I'm glad you like it, Paul. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people. I know a lot of people in Nashville that play arenas big artists that are huge fans of this record. You know, you talk about Carl Sagan. For me, and let me ask you your opinion, you know, you mentioned God. And mm-hmm. to me, whether they're an atheist or not, um, I think it's more agnostic atheist these days because you can't really say right? You don't even know. So it's this, I, but for Carl, he did have that childlike, he was seeking truth. He was trying oh, for to sure. understand reality. Mm-hmm. And and for me, God always says, you know, seek. And the seekers are these people who are trying to explore, you know, the furthest mm-hmm. reaches. Because like you say, it reflects back. Mm-hmm. And we're all part of it. And so I think that's the genius of Carl Sagan. And we need to be more open-minded for those that are believers in these incredible scientists i mean galileo was rejected by the church well yeah and then that was one of the gifts for me as a young 20 something because you know i was born amish and 
we lived Amish for the first part of my childhood, and then we left, and then we were very conservative, very religious, to the point that we didn't have satellite TV coming in. We weren't allowed to listen to contemporary music. We were super sheltered. You know, go from that uh, to discovering Carl Sagan uh, in, as a young adult and realizing that I didn't have the tools to say no to the beauty that I felt I was hearing from him. So it was it was the beauty that was compelling me. So, you know, in his books, obviously, he, he said a lot of things that at the time I just couldn't wrap my head around because I couldn't believe them. And yet I couldn't turn away because I was uh, I found the image of the world or the possibility of humanity, what we could become. I found it so captivating and compelling that I sort of in my heart said, well, I'm, I'm not going to not believe in God, but I'm also not going to not believe in what Carl Sagan is saying, you know. And for me, I didn't see the two as, as being mutually exclusive. And not everyone has the capacity to do that sort of thing with new ideas. And I'm not saying I'm great at it, uh, but uh, but it was it's certainly one of the ways that I've navigated the world is when I come into a new idea, I try not to feel threatened by it. I try to just let it be what it is and not feel threatened or feel like I have to defend what I, you know, even maybe where I disagree. Not saying I'm great at that, but as an artist, it allows for a little bit more of a movement, I think, and exploration and that sort of thing. You talk about being born into an Amish situation. Mm-hmm. They don't listen, obviously, obviously to a lot of people. So <laughs> no. you were older when you started gravitating to certain types of music. But when you are raised in a very conservative, orthodox form of religion, and yet you have these ideas coming, what is it about religion and science that seems to conflict? Because for me, I don't know. it's all about seeking Truth. It doesn't conflict for me. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me, and it, I don't think it ever has. You know, I've, it's funny. Art and science are really kind of the. Uh, to me, art and science feel like uh, faces on the other side of the same coin, or however people say. It. I, don't, I don't forget how they say that, but it's two sides of the same coin. I have always found myself equally drawn to both, and depending on where I am in my life, I may be drawn more to one than the other. But I can't say no to one or say no to the other, and they're both fascinating to me. I'm not saying religion is art, but I'm saying that it it is similar in some ways, in that it 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 trades in mysteries that don't bear out in the lab or that can't that can't even be brought into the lab. You know, there are certain things that you can't test uh, in the lab or in a test tube, and I like those things. I like them a lot. I find them extremely compelling. But then I also find the stuff you can test and verify in the lab, you know, medicine. You know, you and I have spoken before about what what medicine is able to do. Those things are great as well. And I find them extremely fascinating. And so I'll listen. Of course, what's funny is like my favorite podcasts are like early hominin evolution, which kind of has a little bit of both. You know, there's a lot of theoretical speculation. Sure. Uh, but then there is also some biological stuff that we know just from the DNA studies and and that sort of thing, you know. Well, from dust we are to dust we return. Yeah. And that's a very simple phrase that has been interpreted so many ways. But um, I do think there's this relationship 
that is just one between science and religion. So, um, but you talk about finding, finding, and you've got this other song, Found You. Mm-hmm. And I like that first line. Well, I ain't worth much. My face is far too common. Well, I ain't worth much. My face is far too common. You could stack me up still. I'd be forgotten. And I've never found a place among the chosen. Oh, but I rode the wave that gives the world its motion. Yes, I found you. I found you. Who is you? And what do you, what do you find? Well, the you could be anything that you need or want it to be as a listener. So when I wrote this song, I wanted to imagine what it was like to make first contact with extraterrestrial intelligence. And uh, actually, a friend of mine, Brent, uh, I, I had been toying with this record for years. I had a few songs already written, and I've got a lot of really good friends around me, amazingly supportive friends who are intelligent and succeed in life and make good choices. And uh, Brent asked me, he was like, Sam, uh, you're going to make a record on space and you're not going to include extraterrestrial, you know? And I was like, uh, okay. And then I started thinking about it and I started toying with different concepts. And when the song finally came to me, you know, I was toying with two concepts, which one was uh, a, a complete no name person makes contact. You know, I was thinking of someone at SETI or something that maybe mops the floor but somehow makes contact. And then the other thing that I was thinking of was comparing first contact with extraterrestrial intelligence with some of the great discoveries uh, in either human history or, or the or hominin evolution, which would be the, the taming of fire, uh, language, you know, perceiving tomorrow versus just today, being able to say no to uh, media graphic gratification and art, and of course art, you know. And so I was able to use both of those but the you, when I wrote it, is an ET. But I also left it open enough to where it could be anything. It could. Yeah. It's very. It's a very human song. It's also my most compelling song on the record. It's the one that gets the most listens to by far. Yeah, gets shared. And when I get an email, nine out of ten times, it's it's about that song. But it's a very human song. So those those lyrics you just read, everyone can relate to them. You know, everyone has everyone feels or has felt like a nobody or a failure. And everyone longs for the for a breakthrough of some kind where where they find a purpose. And so the you could just be human discovery or purpose itself. phrase is you're not alone that resonates yeah but we're mm-hmm. all feeling like it's just mm-hmm. us we're the only ones going through certain things or dealing with certain things but but it's this reality that you're talking about and again it's reaching out and it's reflecting back did you see close encounters did you ever watch that movie i I have seen it, but you know what? It's been so long, Paul. I don't remember much about it. Is is it one you you love? I liked it because, you know, Spielberg has always had this obsession with what's out there 
what's beyond and found it very entertaining because we're all interested in what's out there. But it was a great movie, Richard Dreyfuss, um, this yeah. child. They were all drawn. Not everybody could understand what was happening, but there were a few select mm -hmm. humans that were drawn to this place where the ET was going to make contact. And they ended up making contact through music, through melody. That's how they communicated. That's right. Yeah. It's been a long time. I, I watched it, I think, in my 20s or something. Yeah. I need to watch it again. I love space movies. I mean, I love them. Oh. Are you Star Trek or Star Wars? Uh, probably a Star Wars. I'm really neither of those, though. I didn't grow up with either one of those, obviously. Uh, my favorite film is, is 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I've probably seen a dozen times, if not more. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick. And, but I'll, I'll, yeah, and I like Interstellar. I like Ad Astra. And here we are in that 2023. <laughs> yeah, we're way past 2001. <laughs> it is interesting how so many of the things that were created in Star Trek are now like a reality, the whole idea of kind of a cell phone. I've heard of that, yeah. To, uh, yeah. to somebody, you know, thousands of miles away where you we've gotten to the point where we're able to control the elements to send a message. Yeah. So far. So, so my friend Matt Nall, who, who's a co-producer on The Reaches and, and the drummer as well, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a Trekkie. And he told me the same thing you just told me. He was like, oh, man, there's so many things that were, you know, fantastically invented in Star Trek that now we're actually able to do. So I have to ask you, uh, I'm sure people have asked you because you are a fan of exploration of space and all these things. Balloons, those are not your. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a techie. These Chinese balloons. What's your, what's your. Uh, yeah. You're probably not an expert on that, but what's your. What do you think these things are? Distractions? Well, are we talking about UAPs or are we talking about the Chinese balloons? What yeah. is the UAP? Unidentif unidentified aerial phenomenon. They're basically the stand-in for UFOs, but they don't want to use UFO anymore, so they use a UAP. Okay. I have Paul, now this, this conversation is a good one, and we don't have enough time for it, but I have, first of all, I don't have an opinion about what it is because I have no idea what it is. I tell you what I don't think it is, is I don't think it's an easy explanation. I think if it were easy to explain, we would have, well, you know, we would have explanations. When the Navy is is uh, scratching their head, they're either pulling the wool over our eyes, which is possible, or whatever is out there and whatever is happening is, is, is hard to explain. And uh, I don't know enough about it to make any sort of claim on it. But it sounds similar to me than stories of supernatural phenomena, right? It sounds similar. There's always that little gray area of like, well, this was someone's experience. So what are you going to do? Tell them they're crazy because the options are they either had the experience or they're freaking crazy, right? So same thing with these pilots. They're, they're either lying, they're crazy, or they had this, they had this experience. So it's it's very similar. And then supposedly some of these. Ma objects are are maneuvering in ways that are 
virtually impossible as far as we can understand physics, or as far as we understand physics. And so, yeah, I mean, anytime there's a subject on that or an article, I read about it because I find it really interesting. But I don't, I haven't drawn any conclusions. I, I was there for a while concluding that the pilots were lying to us, but I don't think that I buy that. I just, there's too many of them. And it would be too easy to expose them after a while. Um, and I have no idea what they're seeing. I, I doubt it's aliens. I doubt it's aliens. But it's, I guess it's possible. Years ago, uh, I lived, yeah, years ago, I lived on Edwards Air Force Base in California, mm-hmm. which is one of the most important bases in the middle of nowhere. You know, some of Tom Cruise films have been able to have access to this top secret Air Force base. And um, a gentleman who is high up that works, has a, he was telling me about all these different cards. You have different access to certain. And this starts to sound like the X-Files and, con, you know, conspiracy sure. stuff. But he says we literally have different cards, yellow, blue, red. And he has access to the highest level, but he said he can't really talk about it or he has to kill us. This was a joke. But but he said that they were flying the stealth, uh, the bomber that was used in Iraq in the late 60s. Oh. So it was 30 years before it was actually approved unveiled. and unveiled yeah. and used in a war. And there's so much money. Well, there you go. So... And that might be the best explanation. It probably is the best one, and at least the most sensible one. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I, I don't mind to make believe a little bit and have a little fun, either in conversation over a beer or just in my own brain on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but it's probably the best explanation. Is probably this is some sort of technology that's been developed by military that it will come out in twenty years or so. The fact that we're on Mars. How do you feel about, I mean, Mm -hmm. you have a song, Mars, but you have people like Elon Musk who think, and no matter what people feel about him, this is a guy that believes he can be buried eventually. On Mars. On Mars. Like, he has vision. Well, he probably will get it done. I mean, he's got billions of dollars, and as as, as long as his body is housed by people who don't hate him, yeah, they'll eventually transport him up there and bury him. Uh, I think it's great. I, I think it's phenomenal that we have mechanics that were that were manufactured on Earth uh, roving around Mars. In fact, one of my brothers, I've got a lot of brothers, one of them is a machinist, and he made a part that's on, I think, the Curiosity. So that's kind of cool. Like, he actually handled the part, made it himself, and then they his, uh, his machine shop sh- sent it off to NASA. They had been contracted. But I think it's amazing that that the math is that precise that we can plan all this ahead of time with computers and get all this stuff to land and then rove around and take images. I mean, if, if I were in charge, we couldn't get a rover across the river. You know, I mean, I wouldn't know how to, I mean, unless I paddled it myself, I wouldn't know how to get it over there. But these people are like, that's, that's incredible. Well, you didn't have remote control cars as an Amish. You couldn't go to Radio Shack and talk a truck with a battery <laughs> no. <and> not control. 
<laughs> no, we, we didn't even have electricity, just, just kerosene lamps. <laughs> That's great. I, I envy that, but at the same time, um, <laughs> you know, the ability to listen to music and do what you do now is amazing. But this chorus in Mars, it's such a poetic piece. Like yeah. A, like a Paul Simon song where everything rolls off the tip of the tongue. And sometimes he writes just because everything sounds really good. And he's like, I don't know what it means, but I'm sure all my listeners do. Well, I, I, for, thank you uh, for the compliment just then. I think Paul Simon's amazing. I think he's amazing. He is. I, I wish I could write. I wish I could write more right brain like he does. I tend to write a little bit more left. But Mars, uh, Mars is like a tri-layered cake, a tri-layered song. There are three or four things moving at once in Mars. There's the apocalyptic theme, you know, the end of the world. Yep. Um, there's the scientific aspect, uh, which which is touched on a little bit. There is the uh, religious imagery, you know, which is throughout the song. Dying. And, 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 and most of my writing will always have religious imagery and imagery in it, you know, uh, especially uh, literary motif, religious imagery. Then there's also the play between war and agriculture. And I don't know if you've seen the video to Mars, but there's a video on YouTube, uh, which helps bring this out a lot better. And I probably I don't know how many hours I spent making that video, but I basically had to use uh, footage. That's uh, what's it called? Public domain footage. And I spliced it together. Read the moon will turn. Read the sun will burn. May your sight break wide, but the curse. The yeah. uh, but there's there's those themes going. So you got an apocalyptic the end of the world you've got uh mars the god right which is apocalyptic and then you've got um the religious imagery uh and you've got agriculture versus terraforming or terraforming versus war destruction and uh but yeah there's a lot of themes going on and so i don't know that i wrote the song with a single narrative in mind. I think I was just trying to juggle all those balls together and trying to make it all work. My favorite line is dying is bitter, but rising so sweet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for the religious aspect, everyone is obsessed with what happens next. But we find in nature, we find in all creation, whether the leaves are falling and it turns to winter we have these seasons mm-hmm. where we see the seeds start to bear fruit and life starts to mm-hmm. grow again. And that's, I think that's for me, the hope and faith of that we could get beyond all these wars and these machines and everything that doesn't die with us. It just is left right. behind. Well, and, the, and the, you know, the Mars as a song is, is a is kind of a hopeful piece that we will eventually well i'm with elon that we would eventually terraform the planet and actually be able to live without aid i don't know how if that's even possible of course the amount of work and the amount of ingenuity and power literal power like 
energy <laughs> that it would take to terraform a planet. Well, we might as well fix Earth first, you know, as they say. But that's the hope of, of the song, is that we would trade in our wars for terraforming, for gardening, right? Rather than destroying, let's garden, you know? <laughs> it's a very optimistic record, so it's okay to have a little bit of an optimism in, in those songs, right? Europa is pessimistic. Yeah, I was gonna, it's ex- I was gonna ask about that. Extremely pessimistic. I will live, will not die. Is what she told me. Now the dark oceans over eyes grow. Still and frozen. I lay her out on the open, clear where she's so suited and cover. Did she know those words were through the last <laughs> That's a great line. Grow still and frozen. Gross, still and frozen. What's the image of death? Watching someone's eyes, oh. you know, freeze over. For for listeners, if you've ever had that experience, it's surreal. Watching somebody, well, seeing the light leave the yeah. eye. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's a sacred moment of transition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you. You talk about it here. I lay her out on the open clear where she's still suited and covered. Did she know those words were the last? Is this about somebody you've lost? Or is this about a, no. a panic? No, it's just a short story. Okay. Yeah, it's just a short story. This is this is actually one of my most like linear songs okay. on the record. I wanted to imagine a crew of astronauts who rather than send robots go to Europa to see if there's life underneath the surface, but in the process they all die. And the song is the last surviving member who basically turns pessimistic and begins to view Europa, the goddess, as the murderer, right? And he contemplates and meditates on why she would want to murder them. And it's basically because she's been neglected and she's barren. She doesn't have any life. Yeah. And so her jealousy drives her. I mean, it's just a Greek goddess story that's just, you know, I just had fun with it. Uh, you could read anything you want into it, but it, there's a narrative to it. If, if you try not to read too deeply, there's just a narrative. It's just nihilism. <laughs> People that love music are always going to go deep. They're always going to listen and try to understand what is being conveyed. We're always going to want to know. I, I remember as a kid, when I first started hearing music, you know, I was a prayerful child. I would ask God. To help me understand this song. I know that's crazy, but like I, I wanted to know no, it's all right. the meaning. I was listening to a lot of Rush. So 2112, uh-huh. uh, all these songs that were also about reaching out beyond 
our planet. Neil Peart was a big lyricist in trying to understand and explore what's beyond. When music hits us, like Bob Marley always says, it hits you and you try to somehow incorporate it into your, your life. Well, I like story songs a lot. So I like narrative songs. So one of my favorite records is Bruce Springsteen's uh, that goes to Tom Joad, which is a, a collection of a lot of narrative songs. Like, And I, in my 20s, I really loved Gillian Welch. I don't know if you're familiar with Gillian Welch's songs. So yeah. She's got a lot of narrative songs. Yeah, she's. But Gillian also, if I can talk about just one song, I know this is a podcast about the reaches, but one of the songs that's influenced my writing the most is probably Gillian Welch's April the 14th. Was a five band bill, two dollar show. And it's such a brilliant song. It's it's extremely literary. Uh, but basically, the 14th of April, are, there's these disasters that happened. It was the sinking of the Titanic, the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln, and the Great Dust Bowl. That you know, all those three things occurred on the 14th of April. Well, she weaves this song with those three things coming and going a little bit with a narrative story of a character who has their first exposure to rock and roll. <laughs> and, uh, it, that you know, on the 14th of April, this character has their first exposure. They're like just a waitress or a waiter, yeah. and they have their first exposure to rock and roll. And it's like that's all they want to do with the rest of their life. And so it's the it's it's the ruination day, it's the destruction day, it's the 14th of April, right? It came into their life, and now they just want to do rock and roll. Absolutely brilliant writing. And so if if I can write like that, and sometimes I get a little closer to writing like that, that's how I want to write. So I want to write with layers and symbolism and motifs and all that. But sometimes the song's just like Gillian's song, Caleb Myers, just a story song, you know, this woman that gets nearly raped, but she ends up killing the dude with a the neck of the broken bottle of his whiskey glass that he shattered next to her head. You know, she slices his neck and, uh, and it's just a narrative song. It's a murder. It's a murder ballad. Yeah. Which Europa is really kind of a murder ballad too. So, yeah, I, I recommend the reaches, uh, to everybody. Um, go explore these. That's other so kind of you check out Silicon Boone's record, the reaches go to his website, follow on Spotify and, uh, Wherever you listen to music. And, I, and I'm probably most active on Instagram. By most active means I might post something once every week or two. That's good. On story. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Not very often. All right, man. Thanks, Paul. All right, dude. Take care. Show your support by leaving a review of the Paul Cardall podcast wherever you listen. For more information, visit www.paulcardall.com.